Well, hey, church family, happy Easter. Uh, it's so good that you can join us on Easter Sunday as we celebrate together the resurrection of Jesus. I hope you've enjoyed the first part of our time together working through some songs and prayers. And I've got the privilege this morning of opening up God's word as we uh, again consider the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus. However, before we go there, just a few things to say. The first is that we're aware that there are numbers of people joining us from uh, far-flung places. I mean, we even heard the other day that there was somebody from deep, dark Suffolk, even maybe Lower Stoft. And uh, what we thought would be fun is in the comments section uh, of this YouTube live streaming channel, why don't you say hi and let us know where you've joined us from. Uh, somebody may even be joining us from the fabled place called Norwich. So why don't you do that now? And at the same time, we want to encourage you to uh, take a selfie of yourself and the rest of the people in your house that might be watching this morning and to email it to hello at wearekingsgate.org. Next week, the plan is we're going to put up a bit of a montage of the selfies to uh, remind you of some of the people that are in the church family and what they look like and uh, to get a little snoop into their homes and see them as they're enjoying being God's family together. Uh, the second thing I'd love to do is to invite you to our new Alpha Online course, which is going to be starting on the 13th of May. Alpha is a really simple course designed to help you to explore Christianity for yourself. Now, in this coronavirus season, the way that we're going to be running it is essentially in two parts. The first part is that you'll be given a link each week to a short film and ask to watch that film. And then secondly, there will be a Zoom call where you can discuss with other people who are also on the course the topic of that particular week. Now, if all this technology is making you feel a bit scared and uh, will you be able to engage, we've got people in the church who will be able to help you get this set up so that you can fully engage in the Alpha course. If you'd like to be involved, can I encourage you to email hello at wearekingsgate.org and uh, we'll get your name added to the list and all the details will be sent to you nearer the time. The other thing that I need to uh, share with you is that uh, many of you will know that last Friday our dear friend, uh, fellow church member here at Kingsgate, Mark Brackenbury, um, went to be with the Lord. Uh, many of you will know that Mark had been unwell for a couple of weeks and was in hospital and on Friday he passed away. And before we look at God's word together, I would love us to pray for Mark's family. I'd also like us to pray for some of the people in the church here who have known Mark really well. He was such a kind man and he made friendships that were deep and they lasted for years. And I'd love us to pray for, particularly for uh, Jean Perkins. I'd love us to pray for Alex. I'd love us to pray for Craig and Wendy. And I'd love us also to pray for David and Jane Park, who, although they're in Leicester, are still very much part of the church here and have known Mark for many years. So shall we pray together that God would bring his comfort into uh, the family and these friends' lives at this time? Father God, on this day of celebration, we recognise that we are also grieving the loss 
of a dear friend. And we want to pray now for Mark's family. We pray that they would know your comfort at this time. We pray for friends here in the church and friends uh, around this area, particularly in Belton, that knew Mark. We want to pray for the comfort of God to fill their hearts. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now this morning I want to help you to zoom in on the early hours of the first ever Easter. And I want to help you in particular to zoom in on the moment when a group of women arrived at the tomb where Jesus' body was meant to be laid. Let's read these words together. You can find them in Luke chapter 24 and I'm going to be reading verses 1 to 6. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wandering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Or using the message translation, why are you looking for the living one in a cemetery? These are remarkable words. But they're also loaded with meaning because before Jesus went to the cross on Good Friday, he'd actually spoken about these days. You might even say he prophesied about these days when he heard of his dear friend Lazarus who had died. And he was speaking to uh, one of Lazarus's sister and he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me even will live even though they die. Now, Lorna and I, we used to live in central London. And one of the things that I used to love doing when we lived there was I'd, I'd get up on a Saturday morning and I'd jump on the tube at Finsbury Park, which is where we lived. And I'd head into central, central London to places like Covent Garden or down near uh, St. Paul's Cathedral or even over on the South Bank. And I'd take my camera with me and yes, it was an old film camera from the Jurassic era. And I would uh, try and capture in photos some of the uh, feelings of early morning tranquility. And this week, as I've been preparing, I was thinking to myself, what must it felt like for the women who were heading towards Jesus's tomb? I imagine there was no bustle. There was no hustle. There were no dogs barking. There were no kids playing, there were no kids fighting, there were no farmers debating the weather in loud voices, and there were no grandmas showing the best way to knead dough again. Now these were early morning moments. These were moments where there might have been a little bit of mist that was starting to be eaten away by the sun. There might have been some dew dripping off the olive trees. There might have been the scent of last night's fire. This was a quiet moment, but it was one that was certainly going to come before a storm. 
and a storm that was so momentous that for the next 2,000 years it's been like a fishbone stuck in humanity's throat. You see, I'm talking about the fact that there was an empty grave and a resurrected Jesus. This was the storm that was going to turn the world upside down. And I want to try and show you how this storm, this moment that took place on the first Easter Sunday, uh, has been so problematic and difficult for many people since then. For some people, let's call them the rationalists. And a rationalist is basically somebody who looks at the world and they need to be able to reason out why things happen. They can accept Jesus, the storyteller, They can accept Jesus, the revolutionary. They can accept Jesus, the friend of sinners. But Jesus, the resurrected one, well, that sounds rather miraculous to me. That sounds rather otherworldly to me. And so the story of Jesus' empty tomb and Jesus' resurrection gets stuck in their throat like a fishbone. For many other people, let's call them the pluralists. And a pluralist is basically somebody who takes the oil of one religious view and the water of another, and through lots of carefully crafted words, they try to blend these two religions together into a bland but acceptable uh, uh, outlook on life to all. And then Jesus comes along and Jesus rises from the dead and Jesus declares that he and he alone is the resurrection of the life and only those people that believe in him will live. And well, that's not just a fishbone for the pluralist, that's a whalebone of offence. And then there's the religious crowd, and they can't quite choke down the implications of this story. And so they want to add something to this story of Jesus' resurrection and his command that we believe in him. You see, religious people like Jesus. But the problem for religious people is that they want to add something to his resurrection. They want to add something because religion always needs to do something to try and find favor in the eyes of God. Just a few years later, after this first Easter resurrection moment, the Apostle Paul was battling against Jesus plus religion in Galatia when some people were trying to add circumcision to Jesus' resurrection life. In the Middle Ages, the church had come to a position where they basically added indulgences, which was really pay-as-you-go salvation. And in our day, religion is just as ripe as people try to add religious practice, you must do this, or religious warnings, please don't do this, to the simple message of Easter, which is that Jesus is the resurrection and that you enter into his life through belief. That brings me on to another group, and we might call them the moralists. And I'm not meaning moralists in a bad way. I'm talking about people who have a really clearly defined view of life. They love people. They want to take care of people. You'll find the moralists in the soup kitchens and the community centers of our towns and cities. But the problem with this story of the first Easter is that it it knocks any sense of identity that we can find in our moral standing in and in us caring for other people. And it leads to the possibility that the scallywag down the road who's never cared for anybody might just be as welcome in this new Jesus community as the moralist. And so the moralist gags. 
on the story of a resurrected Jesus and one who invites people to believe in him. This story has caused offence. This story has made humans stumble. But I want to encourage you this morning, if you can just lay aside those offences for a few moments and actually listen to the story, maybe, just maybe, you might receive a sense of tranquility in your heart. It's not just for a few moments before the rest of the world wakes up, but for all of eternity. Let me show you how. You see, the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus, it authenticates Jesus's claim to be God. That's my first big point this morning. Jesus's empty tomb and Jesus's resurrection authenticates Jesus's claim to be God. You see, there's been many people on planet Earth throughout history who've claimed to be God. Some, like Caesar, used his power and influence to create a pedestal, like a divine pedestal for himself. Other people, well, they were just crazy. Men and women gibbering on about being the divine. However, when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, he was taking the very name of God and he was also taking the very actions of God, breathing life back into dead people. And he was taking both of those things to himself. And by that, he was setting himself separate from every other human on planet Earth. No longer was Jesus claiming to be just a man. No longer was Jesus claiming to be just a prophet or a religious leader. He was claiming to be God himself. And now that claim needed vindicating. And the empty tomb does that. The resurrection of Jesus does that. The resurrection of Jesus authenticates Jesus' claim to be God. He came back from the dead. Tim Keller put it like this. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether you like his teaching, but on whether or not he rose from the dead. And before the women on that first Easter Sunday was an empty tomb and an angel looking around saying, why are you looking for the living one in a cemetery? The living one doesn't dwell amongst tombs. He's alive. And by that, Jesus' claim to be God was authenticated. The second thing that this wonderful story shows us is that the resurrection of Jesus shows us in the most graphic way that our personal situation is way worse than we think and God's mission to save us is way better than we could have imagined. You see, most human beings will admit that they have some moral failings. And the way that we do this is is often like this. We'll we'll look at ourselves and we'll say, well, I think I need to improve in this particular area of my life. I think this particular area could be adjusted, but I'm not as bad as so-and-so. And I'm certainly not as bad as that person. And I don't have that defect in my life. And by taking that approach to morality, what we're essentially doing is creating a bookshelf of morality. We're putting people on different shelves and we're evaluating people on this bookshelf. And what we often do as humans is that we place ourselves somewhere around about the middle. 
And then we place people on the shelves above us that maybe, I don't know, work in the community or are a super uh, amazing givers to charity. And then maybe on the very top shelf, we save that for people like a Mother Teresa. And then on the shelves below us, well, we put petty criminals. And then maybe hardened criminals. And then right down on the bottom shelf, we save that for people like Adolf Hitler. And then what we do subconsciously in our minds is that we draw a line. And the line is the line of acceptability. Anybody above the line is accepted. Anyone below the line, well, they're in trouble. And what we often do with this line is we place it right below our very own feet. Me and everyone above me, well, we're okay. Everyone below me, well, they might be in trouble. However, this story of the resurrection and what Jesus says about the resurrection shows us that Jesus doesn't see the world that way. Jesus sees the world as a world filled and infected by sin. And this problem of sin is not just some small ailment. No, it's a global pandemic with a 100% spiritual death rate. And Jesus takes that line of acceptability that we want to try and place below our feet and he turns it 90 degrees and he shows that it goes through every layer of the bookcase of morality, including the layer that we place ourselves on and it even goes through our very own heart and it indicts us. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is a global and inclusive condemnation. There's no people group, there's no social bracket, there's no educational level that can get you out of this. No, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's another way of saying that the world we live in is broken and it needs fixing. And part of the brokenness of the world is actually me and the sin that dwells in my heart. And by Jesus saying, I'm the resurrection and the life, he's saying, I'm not only going to show you the problem, but I'm going to show you how it can be fixed. Because spiritually dead people don't need plasters. What they need is resurrection life. And I'm the one, and only I am the one who can give that to you. This is the simple but shocking message of Jesus. This is the simple but shocking message of Christianity. This is the simple but shocking message of Easter. And maybe, just maybe, this is the first time you've heard the message of Christianity. And if it is, I want to encourage you, would you listen? Not to me, but to Jesus. And then would you respond to him? Because you see, Jesus is not just showing us the bad news, that there's this pandemic that has gone throughout humanity and it's got a 100% spiritual death rate. He's showing us how we might live an antidote-enabled life. And the amazing thing is this. Religious people cannot handle what Jesus said. Religious people stumble. Religious people want to add something to it. And Jesus is looking into your eyes right now and he's saying, friends, I want you to know I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live. Full stop, period. The Christian message is very simple. Believe in Jesus. Don't add Jesus to a whole bunch of other securities on your mantle shelf of securities like many gods on a, on a kind of altar. Don't do that. And push all the other securities aside 
and embrace Jesus as your one and only saviour. You see, I want to ask you a question. Over the last few weeks, as we've been walking through this coronavirus pandemic, have you seen how the securities of our world, the things that we've held on to as our safety, have you seen how quickly they have crumbled? This is your opportunity this Easter Sunday to not grab hold of a frail security, but to grab hold of the one true living saviour. The one who said, I am the resurrection and the life, and I'm going to show you how true this is by rising from the dead myself. If you've never accepted Jesus as your saviour, I want to encourage you to email pastoralteam at wearekingsgate.org and somebody from our pastoral team will be in touch with you and show you what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and will pray with you and lead you into this new life that Jesus is speaking about. The third implication that I see in this passage that we're looking at today has real relevance to this current season that we're going through, through the coronavirus. And it's this, As Christians, we've been called to live with courage and perspective, even in the midst of a pandemic. You see, if you turn the TV on every day at the moment, you'll be getting the global, the national and even the county death rates from COVID-19. And the challenge with that is that it can very easily start to fill our hearts with fear and it can start to fill our hearts with anxiety I'm also aware that there are many people who are part of Kingsgate as a church who work in the NHS and you're going to be seeing things and experiencing traumatic things that the rest of us don't have to experience. However, there is a reality encapsulated in what Jesus said here that means that the way we we as Christians walk through a pandemic like this is different to the way other people do. And it's this. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. For the Christian, death is not dying. For the Christian, nothing can separate us from God's eternal life, not even COVID-19. And I wanna say this really carefully to my church family. I wish I could look you in the eyes right now But friends, if some of us do die because of COVID-19, and please hear me very carefully, that's not our prayer, that's not our desire, that's not what we're longing for. But if that was to happen, friends, we do it with the words of Jesus ringing in our ears, which is this, even though we die, we live because we have Christ, our resurrected saviour, by our side. For the Christian Life eternal has started here and now, but it's going to roll on and on and on into eternity. This makes the way that we face a pandemic like this very different. It means that we can live in and amongst the trauma as bringers of hope, as bringers of peace. It means that we don't need to cling on to this life as this this life is all that we have. Death really is not dying for the believer. 
Jesus said, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. We live, and I mean really live, eternally live. Why? Because we have Christ. So friends, in this unusual and unsettling days, let us play our full part here in Great Yarmouth, in Lowestoft, in all of the surrounding villages as beacons of peace, of beacons of hope, of beacons of good news. Why? Because we are people who have come to know Jesus as our resurrection and life. And we can join the Apostle Paul in saying, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And we can be people not ruled by fear of death, but we can live for Jesus. Come what may. This is true resurrection hope, friends. This is true Easter promise. This is what it means for you and I here at Kingsgate to be missionaries in Great Yarmouth and Lowestoft and the surrounding villages as a pandemic rolls through our communities. We have been called to be bringers of hope. And the only way that we can do that is to realize that we have already received resurrection life, eternal life, and it is dwelling within us. So friends, this Easter Sunday, can I invite you to live as a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. People who know that they have Christ and because they have Christ, they have everything. People that know that they have already received Christ's eternal resurrection life within them. And because of that, we can live as pilgrims in this world. We're not trying to inhabit this world. We're trying to live for a different kingdom. We're living for the day when one day we will see Jesus face to face. That's what we're living for. So should we live that way, friends? I'd love to pray for us. And then we'll come to a close. Father God, this wonderful Easter Sunday, as we celebrate the resurrection of we celebrate the empty tomb and we celebrate everything that it uh, speaks into our lives i want to pray for those that do not yet know jesus as their savior that you would lead them to the place of recognizing that life is only found in him I pray for the rest of us that as we walk through this season of uh, coronavirus, that, Lord, we wouldn't be dominated by fear, but we would be uh, liberated to live lives of hope and lives of peace and lives of compassion because we know that we're not trying to hold on to this life, but we're living for eternity. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. If there's something that I've said this morning that you would like somebody to pray with you about. Maybe there was something in the previous part of the service that was on the website. Uh, maybe you're unwell this morning and you would like somebody to pray with you. Can I encourage you to uh, email pastoralteam at wearekingsgate.org and for the next 30 minutes our team is going to be there. They'll respond to you either via email or pick up the phone and get in touch with you. We'd love to pray with you. We believe